Here's a little fun fact. Did you know that for over five years, I taught thousands of people at hundreds of different events, both in person and online, how to grow their businesses. And I did this for Google. And now I want to do it for you. I'm offering up some special complimentary coaching opportunities for a few lucky wise squirrels. Visit wisequirrels.com slash coaching. Welcome to Wise Squirrels, the podcast for late diagnosed adults with ADHD. I'm your host, Dave Delaney. Today I have James Douglas Jr. on the podcast. James is a clinical mental health and marriage and family therapist. He's also a fellow wise squirrel with a passion for helping and supporting youth and teens, adults, and families living and struggling with their own ADHD. I'm excited to share this interview with you, and I do encourage you to check James out over at MindfullyManagingADHD.com. But before we jump in, a quick reminder, the content provided in this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. I'm not a medical professional so go and see a qualified healthcare provider regarding any medical condition, including ADHD. Reliance on any information on this podcast is solely at your own risk. So just go talk to a doctor. That's what I did. And I wanted to mention that too, because I've been seeing a therapist, a psychologist, to help me figure out meds. When I was first diagnosed with ADHD this year, my GP, my general practitioner doctor, prescribed me some stimulants and they seemed a little low. So we increased that dosage a couple of times and um, they didn't really work for me well. And the truth is I wasn't really sure how they would affect me, but I wasn't really feeling much. This is when I decided to seek a psychologist to help me better get a grasp of what medication I should be taking and in what dose. And so since then, we've tried a couple of different stimulants. And the first thing she noted was that the dose was far too low initially, given my own uh, wise squirrel mind. <laughs> and so she prescribed uh, a higher dose and actually a different stimulant. The truth is I wasn't really sure what was working and what wasn't. I did have some side effects and we explored that. And then we tried switching something and I actually have been off stimulants for the last several weeks. And friends, let me tell you this now. You may not feel different while you're on stimulants. Maybe you will. For me personally, I didn't feel a big difference until I stopped taking stimulants. And then I started noticing all sorts of things. And it is a bit of a mind mess uh, with me because I've been thinking a lot about me in my current unmedicated state. And I've been thinking a lot about how this is the real me, unmedicated very scattered, very fidgety. I've realized the power of medication, of stimulants. And while they may not work for everyone, certainly, and I'm not naming names of medications or stimulants here, but I wanted to, to encourage you to see your doctor, but then maybe see an ADHD expert like a psychologist or a psychiatrist who can prescribe you the meds that you need or don't need to get on with your life. And with that, I'm excited to share my conversation, as I mentioned earlier, with James Douglas Jr. 
We talk a lot about CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, a topic I talked about with Dr. Russell Ramsey on a previous episode that I encourage you to check out. James shares some wonderful resources in this episode, worksheets that you can actually download and use to work through your own challenges. He talks about executive functioning skills uh, and exploring ADHD with couples and in relationships, and even the Eisenhower Matrix, which if you're subscribed to the Wise Squirrels blog. You'll see I wrote a blog post a while back about the Eisenhower Matrix, and it's something I use in my workshops and corporate training that I do. I'm going to be quiet now. I've rambled here enough. Let's get on with the show. So let's, I suppose, let's get started by talking about uh, mindfullymanagingadhd.com. So this is your this is your coaching uh, uh, clinic. Tell me, tell me a little bit about how that came to be. Okay. That's a good question. So for me, Mindfully ADHD came and started after I started seeing a lot of individuals, youth, teenagers, adults, and families struggling to manage their ADHD and looking for uh, parental support for their children. Hmm. So it really led me to focus more on coaching because with the coaching, I'm able to help more people around the world versus just the state that I'm licensing for therapy. And it's also a little bit of a different approach than therapy. It's very similar, but really dialing in on ADHD. And I think with the therapeutic background I have, I'm able to provide overall support on top of the ADHD as well as just well-being, overall well-being in general. And your license, you said it, uh, that that would be in Florida, I assume, right? You're you're in Wellington, Florida. Is that correct? Yes, but yes. from but from Baltimore originally. Yes. Cool. What brought you from Baltimore to uh, to uh, uh, Fort Lauderdale area? Actually, school. Okay. School and actually a, a job led me here. First, when I first started, when I moved here, it was in the recovery uh, realm. Mm-hmm. So focusing on, I was just a behavioral health tech, finishing up my bachelor's in psychology and then moving towards my master's in clinical mental health and marriage and family therapy. Mm. Florida's like an interesting state to me. It's It's... So I grew up in Canada. I grew up in Toronto and Florida was always a destination for, you know, snowbirds uh, heading south to, uh, you know, do the theme parks in Kissimmee, Orlando, or, or, you know, that kind of thing. Is, is that, was that your experience with Florida growing up too? Or did you, did you ever get down there? I actually didn't in my childhood. I ended up for my spring break, I came to Panama city. Mm. And I just felt fell in love with the atmosphere there. And I also just fell in love with the people. Um, it was more of a relaxing location I was at. It was really relaxing. So I was like, I got to get down here. And for me, it was a big transition at first. This was around 2015. I actually reached out to people on LinkedIn on how to find a job and what the biggest areas were for psychology and mental health in Florida. And they suggested starting in the substance uh, use um, field. So that's kind of what led me here for a position. And I actually, a lot of people reached out on LinkedIn and were very supportive in that process. Hmm. And some people even offered to kind of let me stay with them until I kind of got, got on my feet to get my own place. So it was very uh, great experience. This was like right when LinkedIn was just starting. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't as big as it was, but it was very supportive in that process. That's interesting. So you were just meeting like for other professionals who offered a place to stay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Wow. And some, that's... some people I, I worked with them in the future after that. Wow. That's so, amazing. Yeah, it was great. Yes. It was great. It reminds me of, I'll date myself, but there used to be a website called couchsurfing.com where you, for like backpackers, I, I was a backpacker a million years ago, you know, uh, uh, traveling across Europe. That's how I ended up moving to Nashville is because I met oh, my, awesome. my wife. Yeah. In Ireland. And, backpacking back in the backpacking days. So, but that's really cool. So people were, were really receptive that way. And so, um, so 2015, you moved down and you're working with, uh, folks in recovery. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Okay. And I know you yourself, you were diagnosed at six with ADHD, right? Yes, I was. At what point did you start kind of connecting the dots between uh, or, or I'm not putting words into your mouth, but, but as far as addiction and ADHD, 
uh, goes because uh, I've learned in my uh, short tenure <laughs> researching ADHD for myself, uh, having just been diagnosed this year, uh, the the kind of correlation between addiction. Tell tell me a little bit about that. I actually wasn't really into ADHD as much when I first moved down here. It was actually more focused on just the recovery and addiction uh, realm. And then that's when I started connecting the dots more in my master's program, realizing the people I was seeing, some were struggling with substance use and other things such as anxiety and depression. But one thing I did learn when I was in the recovery field is that a lot of individuals were duly diagnosed with something else other than just substance use. So that kind of opened up my eyes, which kind of led me into the counseling realm. I had the opportunity as a behavioral health tech to sit in on groups and watch therapists actually do group therapy, individual therapy, which I think was a big factor for me deciding counseling as a master's over a master's in psychology. What what was it about that counseling that made that stood out to you? For me, it was the connection with the individuals that were in the treatment program and just being that support for someone, a listening ear, providing strategies and being in that journey with a person and then seeing a month, three months out, that person utilizing those strategies and growing from that experience. I mean, it's a logical choice, uh, you know, uh, given, given what we're talking about here. So, so at six, you're, you're diagnosed. I know, you, you know, your, your family was quite supportive. Tell me, tell me a little bit about that. So for me, it was the typical, like hyperactive, impulsive. I would say that I was more inattentive. And back when I got my diagnosis, it was just ADD. There wasn't the ADHD because now it's just ADHD and attentive hyperactive, and then a, a mixed combined type. So I just had was diagnosed with ADD, but I would say now it's probably, I would say it's inattentive. So a lot of children and youth will are typically hyperactive anyways. Um, but I really didn't have like the fidgeting or anything like that. But for me growing up, I was very into sports, played basketball, baseball, football, track. So that was a great outlet for me to help me focus. Didn't really struggle very much in school until I got to college. And that's kind of what led me to learning more about ADHD in general. I feel like there, it wasn't talked about as much uh, when I was younger. So I lacked the awareness and knowledge of ADHD in general. Yeah. It's interesting as it applies to sports, I think too, because like I can see basketball as a great example because the, you know, where you're, if you're playing like basketball is one of those sports where you know, the players are, unless you're on the bench, you're playing constantly. Like it's like soccer or hockey where you, you're, you're, it's not like baseball where baseball, you could easily like squirrel <laughs> in outfield, <laughs> you know, as the ball flies over your head. <laughs> um, at least that was my experience playing baseball as a kid. Um, tell me a little bit, actually, I, you know, about how playing sports can help someone with ADHD, because right away in my mind, I can think of, of, you know, being constantly active and being, you know, hyper-focused and, and being in the zone, doing something that you actually enjoy doing. All these things are things that I've learned, you know, about ADHD, but, you know, do you see, yeah, how you were able to excel at basketball because of the ADHD? Yes. And I think that's a great point you mentioned. I actually played baseball for a while. And then I think around 14, 15, so high school baseball, I was always asked to play from the coach, but it just didn't have my um, attention and interest anymore because I think of the simple fact of, like you said, it's like your only time when you're really active is maybe if you're the pitcher, catcher, batting, but I was always outfield. So it just wasn't catching my attention. So I kind of straight away from baseball and kept with the more active sports and even football, you get a break, but it's not that big of a break in between plays, but basketball is up and down, up and down. Uh, and I played a lot. So being able to always be out there, my dad played basketball. So watching him play growing up was always an inspiration as well. But I did notice that it was a great outlet for me to kind of get that energy out. And 
it's good for all people in general, but I think with ADHD specifically, some form of exercise or fitness, whether it's Pilates, yoga, running, walking, taking your dog out, anything that can be good to kind of burn a sweat helps with a lot of symptoms and struggles with ADHD. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, a, a lot of what I've read is about, yeah, about like, as you said, like about exercise being a key thing um, or, or just, and you can, you know, yeah, you can insert a sport as that exercise, certainly, because yeah, you're, you're achieving the same thing. So just keeping your brain going, you know? <laughs> yes. Very uh, true. <laughs> yeah. Tell me a little bit about uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. What is that and how does it work? So cognitive behavioral therapy is a therapeutic technique. It's also a, or a therapeutic modality, but it's also a coaching modality as well. And it focuses on how you think about things affects your emotions and feelings, which ultimately affects your behaviors. So sometimes being able to come in and talk to someone to really be intuitive with yourself and understand different situations in life, what you're thinking about it and how you're thinking about it can affect the outcome, which is how you feel about the situation or experience, which ultimately changes your behaviors. So you focus on switching those thought patterns to something more positive or just another alternative. And that in time affects your feelings, emotions, and then your behaviors. Because a lot of times we have, I mean, all humans have cognitive distortions. And these are things that are kind of put onto our, put onto us and also our, our mindset from upbringing, family, experiences in life. And it kind of leads us to kind of feel or think that that's the only way to think about a situation. But if you really think about it, there's thousands of alternatives of, or ways you can think about something. So being able to open up someone's mind to help them explore other options and other thought patterns. And with practice, that becomes natural and you kind of forget about the older way of thinking. Maybe give me an example of that, like with a, with a patient, of course, not naming names, um, but where maybe they, they were experiencing something like negative self-talk. Okay. So what I like to use for adults, and this is kind of like all or nothing thinking or black and white thinking, or even a magnifying situation. So say your boss emails you and the first thing you think is it's something negative or it's something not so positive. So that right there can cause you to not open the email, start feeling, well, I guess the feeling and emotion would be kind of worry, nervous, scared, and then the behavior would be maybe avoiding the email, not opening it. So you might tell the person, what are other alternatives for this email? Like what else could this email say? Maybe it could be a raise. Maybe it could be congratulating you on something that you did. Um, some positive work or something more positive. So once you start thinking of that, then your feelings about the email change. So now your your feelings are more happy or more excited to see what, what it has to say, which affects your behaviors, which would be opening an email when you see it versus avoiding it. What if the what if the contents are negative? What if and it is be, what if it is that dreaded, <laughs> you know, <yeah. laughs> that dreaded message? Okay. Yeah. That's a good question. So yeah. So what if it is that it could be that, but it could also be so many other things. So maybe this email was that way, but maybe the other five or six emails that your boss sends you aren't that way as well, or just even a friend or a family member. Yeah. I follow some of the ADHD, uh, uh, Reddit, uh, subreddits, I guess. And, and it's interesting to read some of message, some you know, commentary or posts from people about their own experiences with ADHD. Like, you know, like they think their, their partner broke up with them because of it, or they think they were fired you know, because of it. Now, legally speaking that, that you know, they're, they're and not, a, not a legal podcast, not a medical podcast either, but um, how does one change their mindset when, maybe they are blaming ADHD on things and, and maybe, 
maybe they are right to do that. I don't know. Right. And that's a good question because I think it depends on the situation, but I think it's really looking for the evidence. So that's another part of CBT is looking for all the facts because a lot of times we jump to conclusions. So being able to look for all the facts, look for supporting evidence helps to minimize that worry about a situation as well as, and there's like worksheets for this as well that you can provide to a person to kind of go through questions to to find all the details because a lot of times we we do jump to conclusions and we don't have all the facts at hand. So I think taking that time and taking that space to really focus on other alternatives of why something could have happened or a situation could have occurred. And it's good to just ask questions too. So maybe getting, reaching out to that person or reaching out to supervisor, boss relationship and kind of getting more information on it before making that clear, that clear cut decision on why it was ADHD or why it might've been something else. And you mentioned some worksheets. Are these publicly available or are these things you have yourself or how does that work? Yes. Yeah. These are public um, worksheets. You can find them. There's some worksheets like worry exploration. So when a person's worrying, maybe if it's dealing with anxiety and ADHD or just anxiety in general, ways to explore anxiety, ways to explore depression, ways to explore any situation by really narrowing down on detailed questions of like, what are the facts? Asking questions like, what are the alternatives? What are some other outcomes? And it gets you to really think, it gets a person to really think of other ways that could have transpired other scenarios that can transpire from a situation. Yeah, that's interesting because, well, before I ask you about that, like the, the idea of, of reframing, um, are these worksheets publicly available? You said they are, where would somebody find those? I want to make sure our listeners have like a way to, you know, to reference or define some of these tools and tips that we're talking about here. Okay. So therapist aid is a good resource, good website and resource. It's therapistaid.com. There's also a website called psychology tools that I use for worksheets or just information on cognitive distortions as well as CBT. And they also have other modalities as well for therapy. Thank you. Yeah, that's helpful. Uh, it's it's interesting too, because I find, I'm only speaking personally here, but I find like sometimes worksheets, I struggle with them because uh, just, or, or I kind of go back and forth. So sometimes I prefer something analog. Other times I prefer something digital. Sometimes I prefer an app, sometimes a form, uh, you know, sometimes just a journal. Uh, so are there different like formats for, for this kind of stuff for, for people who have, you know, preferences as far as like analog or digital? Yes, they do. They have different things. They have vid videos, they have other, there's even applications that you can download that you can track your mood, you can track triggers and this is triggers for ADHD as well as just triggers for anxiety or depression. Mm. There's fillable worksheets, there's psychoeducation. So just a bunch of information. People like to read about it. There's videos that also explain those things as well, as well as for ADHD resources. And, you know, I, I mentioned reframing now I've written before uh, about uh, I just called it, you know, changing your perspective on, on situations and things. And this is really just sort of amateur psychology for me. Uh, but things that I've learned, uh, over the years on how to kind of reframe. Well, I, I I've learned that it, in, at least in psychology, it's called reframing, right? Yes. Reframing, refocusing or refocusing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, tell us maybe some strategies for, for folks for the reframing or refocusing. So the first thing is knowing kind of what you're looking for. So that's like, if you're self-aware, you might already know some of these things. If not, sometimes you might need a coach or a therapist to help you kind of explore that. But then like, once again, I mentioned in the beginning is practicing. So first you have to practice catching them. You have to be aware of unhelpful thoughts, negative thoughts. And then you focus on changing those thoughts. And this is what the resources and strategies and tools 
kind of help you with. It helps you first identify and learn more about the different cognitive distortions. And then you start to reframe those thoughts, that thought pattern, which at time you start to, when you practice it, it becomes second nature to you now. Because first you're aware of it, then you come up with alternatives for different situations. Say if there's a list of situations a person might struggle with, you would come up with reframing thoughts for all of those struggling situations. Then you practice changing them. And there's even worksheets and you can voice it to yourself. You can write it down. You can take notes on your phone, but it's called a thought record. So being able to identify it and then label the cognitive distortion based on that situation. So a thought record. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. And that's a big one for CBT. Maybe we could talk actually a little bit about executive functioning because it's something you know I'm still learning about. But it's a topic I'm really interested in, partly because, you know, I just for the background here and as a reminder, like I was diagnosed at 50 this year. And so, and I've worked for myself, I've had my own work, my own business for, you know, about 12 years. And so I've struggled, obviously, with ex- executive function without knowing what it actually was, <laughs> you know, having never heard of it before. And, and and now I'm doing sort of reflecting a little bit on on how I've managed to achieve what I've achieved and get to where I am by addressing and finding my own sort of ways of doing things that I just thought everybody was doing. <laughs> so uh, can you can you maybe share first of all some background on executive functions, some examples of that, and maybe some ways for folks to. Uh, to address the challenges they're facing with as it pertains to that? Yes. So executive functioning is something that typically you start to really experience around probably 12 and 15 years old, being able to manage your time effectively, being able to plan. Um, But executive functioning consists of very many different things. And with ADHD, we sometimes, we oftentimes struggle with this. So that's flexible thinking, working memory, um, self-monitoring, planning and prioritizing organization and organizing your day, your work schedule, school, task initiation, impulse control, and emotional control. So these are a lot of the areas that individuals with ADHD sometimes struggle with. So effective ways that I like to introduce to individuals are something called the Eisenhower matrix. This is something that helps with planning, organizing, and scheduling your day. This is, it's broken down to four parts, uh, four quadrants. So you have important and urgent tasks. You have important, not urgent. You have not important and not urgent. And then you have not urgent, but important. Mm -hmm. And these are ways to kind of prioritize and plan and organize your tasks, activities, homework, to be able to break things down to a smaller task. So when you have 20 tasks that need to be accomplished with ADHD, a lot of times we feel like everything is important and urgent. But this matrix helps helps us to identify and maybe break break them down into smaller, more manageable uh, chunks and parts. Yeah, that's very helpful. Um, so it's funny. Yeah, I, I created like a to do list that was working for myself. Um, okay. And one of the things that I did so, um, and I forget where I learned about it, but I kind of tweaked it uh, for myself, and it, it's basically like a worksheet that I print, you know, six uh, a week, Uh, there's a Saturday version of it. And it's basically eight things per day. So I have like a list of six uh, business things I need to do, and then two personal things. Um, And then on Saturdays, I flip it to two personal or two business things and eight, or excuse me, six personal. And then Sundays, you know, whatever. (laughs) I don't do anything. And so, but one thing that I found helped certainly for me, because I'm running a business is, uh, not to sound like all like capitalistic or like greedy or whatever, but you you realize pretty quickly when you work for yourself that, uh, if you're not making money, (laughs) uh, you have no one to blame. So I, I found that putting a dollar sign next to the business things on my list to help me kind of prioritize them to remind me like which ones actually you know, I, somebody has paid me to do or will pay me to do. And that, that, that kind of helped me, but I really like the, I really like the, the Eisenhower met matrix. I think that's a, that's a great, great thing. Was that, 
by Mr. Eisenhower himself or do you know yes. the history with that? Yes, it is. And uh, I think what you said is is phenomenal because I think it's really about identifying what strategies work for you because there's so many different strategies out here and techniques and tools to use, but everyone's different and everyone, what might work for me might not work for you and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really about honing in and figuring out what strategies work best with an individual's challenges and then sticking with that. And if it doesn't work, then you try something new. But I think it's really about identifying kind of what works best for that individual mm -hmm. based on kind of their challenges. And I know you do, uh, you know, marriage and family uh, counseling uh, therapy as well. I'm curious, have you had a lot of experience uh, with your clients, um, you know, specifically for, for couples, like what, where one is neurodivergent or, or discover they are, uh, you know, so where, where, you know, one person realizes, you know, like me, they're a late diagnosed adult and they're married and they're trying to, uh, you know, get their head around it. But at the same time, helping their spouse kind of understand I'm lucky personally because I'm married to an educator. And so my, awesome. my wife is pretty well versed in, in all sorts of different, you know, neuro, uh, divergent, uh, minds, uh, with the children that she, she, uh, she teaches. So, um, but for others who, you know, whose spouse may not understand or know what ADHD is, uh, any, any tips for that? Yes, I think it's, especially when it comes to couples or in relationships or married individuals, I think it's very important for everyone to be on the same uh, page with support for the person that is neurodivergent. So a lot of times I've worked with individuals that will come in to see me one-on-one, -on -one, but have some of the family component that they'd like to address in regards to the ADHD. A lot of the times it's for support for themselves, but then also maybe for their children. So it might be even relating to parenting and parenting styles for their child with ADHD. But in regards to one of the, the um, parents having ADHD and managing that, I'd suggest and send resources for that other individual that is neurotypical to review and research. Because like I said before, it's a, it's a team. So the one person is coming to work on their struggles with their ADHD, but then the other partner needs to be supportive in that process, as well as just learning more about it in general. So I think it's you're lucky to have um, a wife that is an educator and being aware of what that looks like. So a lot of times the other partner isn't. And I think that goes a long way with the person that is neurodivergent living and being feeling supported in that relationship. So if there was like one document, one book, one whatever it is, what would you recommend that that spouse neurotypical quote air quotes uh, read or, or review or watch? I would say first, just learning more about what ADHD is. And that's just handouts, websites, PDFs on what ADHD actually is and what that can look like, what that could look like in a male, what that could look like in a female communication, I would say is a big one. So being able to focus on different communication pieces, as well as emotional regulation. So just understanding that your partner isn't doing these things on purpose and there's a reason for it. And there's a lot of helpful tools out there from the websites I mentioned um, before, mm -hmm. as well as just different ADHD websites that explain what that might look like in a relationship, whether it's communication, um, emotional regulation, uh, reject rejection, uh, sensitivity, and being able to meet their partner where they're at. I would have to look into different types of books for the for the partner. Hmm. I would say any book in regards to ADHD and explaining what that looks like or what that could look like would be beneficial. Do you come across, I read a study not too long ago and I don't have it in front of me, so I can't uh, reference it, but it was about the craziness of the misinformation uh, being shared uh, this was especially about tiktok yes uh, do, have you come across this yourself and and wh what what are the dangers uh that come to mind about people sharing misinformation or or worse disinformation about adhd 
That's a great question. So TikTok, I think the top ADHD is in the top five search result on TikTok right now. Um, and it seems like everyone is talking about it on TikTok. I actually personally do not have a TikTok, but I have heard from other people. A lot of people that have reached out to me for support, for coaching, have mentioned that as well. And I even had a work for a therapy company that had a monthly, we would do like just education, all the therapists would come and we would discuss a topic. And that was actually one of the topics being misdiagnosed on TikTok with ADHD. And I would, there it, there can be some good information on there as well in some social media. But I think the the first step is seeking help from a professional, whether that's your primary care physician, psychiatrist, and sometimes you can get a referral from your primary care physician for a psychiatrist in the area and really getting a better understanding of finding a valid assessment to utilize for some of your struggles that you're having. But yeah, a lot of people were coming and kind of diagnosing themselves on TikTok and seeing what struggles could look like. And like many other things, ADHD symptoms can look similar to other things as well, such as anxiety, uh, depression, but maybe there's a cycle of all three or even more bipolar. Um, so I think it's really first being aware of what your struggles are, taking a list, taking a note of it, and then reaching out to a professional to get further support on a diagnosis or just the next steps to take if you are seeking a diagnosis. A lot of people even reached out to me because they didn't know the steps to even take to get an assessment. You can even go to a psychologist to get a um, assessment for ADHD and also other things as well. But a lot of people are just misinformed of what that step might take or what that process is. So just being able to educate people as much as I can on, I guess, the necessary steps to take to really get that official di diagnosis so they don't feel like they're in the dark and that individuals can feel supported throughout their journey of seeking a diagnosis or just more information about themselves. I found you know where the where the challenge often lies is in uh access to to a doctor <laughs> um yes. mm -hmm. you know uh, like i remember i think i might have shared this story on a previous episode but i when i like i'm from i'm from toronto originally so i'm from canada and always had a, a GP, a general practitioner or family doctor. Okay. And when I moved here, I was talking to, you know, one of my closest friends and I was asking him, you know, who his GP is. And he's like, my what? And I'm like, you know, like your doctor, your, and he said like our pediatrician, you mean? And I'm like, no, no, like, dude, your doctor, like who is your doctor? And he's like, oh, I don't have a doctor. I just, you know, I, I'll go to a doctor from sick. And I'm, I was like, wait, what? You don't have an actual, I mean, dude, you take your car in to get an oil change, right? And get a tune up. And he's like, yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, and, and he was just like, nah, 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 nah. And I talked to a couple other friends also male and, and it was the same sort of response where they don't even have a GP to begin with. Obviously, if, if you don't have insurance, uh, then having a doctor can be quite expensive. And uh, I think there might be some, some level of ignorance, uh, like a blissful chosen ignorance that like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it type of type of idea. And really mm -hmm. that's the the essence of a GP is you're going, not because anything's wrong. You're just going to have a look under the hood to make sure everything looks the way it's supposed to look and is, is functioning the correct way. And, and that's yes. also where you could have a, a discreet, you know, confidential conversation about any concerns, like, uh, like between my annual, uh, my annual physical, I have like a, a, a note on my phone, which I just keep a, a, not that I'm a hypochondriac or anything, but I keep like an ongoing list. Sometimes it's just two or three things at the most, but I'll keep a list of throughout the year of, you know, ah, oh, man, I really need to get my vision tested, or I really need to get, you know, I've got this pain in my foot that I need to talk to because sometimes I'll get to my doctor when I do have my annual and, and forget, I'll leave and be like, ah, damn, I for totally forgot to ask him about the, is it Morton's neuroma? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so 
I don't know if there's a question there, but uh, any thoughts about about the challenges of of access for people? Uh, you know, because otherwise they're turning to WebMD at best and TikTok at worst. Yes, I think that's um, great. To definitely, like you said, get those annual checkups and then making note of things that or ailments that come throughout that time, especially with ADHD, taking it out your mind so you don't forget it, putting it down on paper in your phone to remind yourself is great. And I think the biggest thing, if a person doesn't have uh, a medical insurance or a primary care physician or a GP, I think is seeking support from reliable uh, resources. So there's a few that I can think of off the top of my head. So you have Chad. So that's like children and adults with um, ADHD. Then you have ACO International, which is ADHD Coaches Organization promoting um, ADHD coaching. And this really focuses on individuals seeking support or maybe even finding out what the next steps would be by talking to a coach that is well-versed with ADHD and has information on ADHD. They A coach won't be able to give a official diagnosis or anything like that, but they can kind of lead you into the right direction or even focus on some of the struggles or challenges that a person might be having with their ADHD. Because a lot of times people won't go for the diagnosis, but they would say, like, I have very similar symptoms of ADHD. Here's here's what they are. Do you have any strategies or techniques to help with that? And another one's ADA. So that's uh, Attention Deficit uh, Disorder Association. And there's also a lot of different companies out here as well that are providing ADHD support where they, you can go specifically get an ADHD assessment from a psychiatrist. And I think it's a little bit more affordable than finding one on your own and getting the whole neurological test uh, done if you don't have insurance. And then they can provide strategies and support, maybe even coaching or medications if that's what a person's looking for. Yeah, that's very helpful. And I, I do encourage listeners to uh to do that uh, you know i've come across other late diagnosed adults who have found that they have adhd or they think that they have adhd but have chosen you know they've made it this long what's the point okay. have you have you come across this and and what would you say to them well a lot of people that reach out typically are ones that are looking for a little bit more support with some of their challenges but i think if a person is managing their symptoms and aren't looking for a diagnosis and maybe just need additional support on specific things and reaching out and getting that support. But a lot of the times people have might already have some of these techniques and strategies and tools in place before kind of getting that diagnosis or realizing that they might live with ADHD. I think a lot of it also comes with upbringing. So I've noticed that for me personally, there was certain things that I didn't struggle with with my ADHD. And I think it had to do with just my upbringing in regards to routine and schedule, but not everyone has that uh, routine or schedule as they're growing up in their family and their household. So I think you can learn strategies when you're young that can help with ADHD struggles and symptoms, but then also depending on the stage of life, whether you're in college, for the first time, or maybe you get a challenging job to where maybe even a promotion and now struggling to manage all that, then kind of seeking a coach or a therapist for additional support. But I think definitely some of these symptoms can be reduced depending on upbringing. Yeah, it's a great, it's a, a good point about, yeah, seeking out, seeking out support. I mean, nobody, and even, yeah, it's interesting. Like, like for example, and I, I'm sorry, I say interesting way too much. And re-listening to these interviews, I'm like, God, I got to find a different word. Uh, <laughs> but it is all interesting, though. It is, yeah, it's very interesting, especially as I'm, I'm learning about this stuff. But, but getting back to the sports topic, where if you play sports and you want to get better, besides playing the sports, you need coaching and you need. Mm-hmm you know, you need a team, you need support, you need, um, even if you're not going to go pro, but you know, like you still need to improve, uh, uh, you know, improve your skills playing a sport. And in order to do that, you do need to, you know, seek out the the experts who can, who can teach you. Very true. Some people will come and not even have the diagnosis 
and just say, I'm struggling with the new position with time management. Mm. I'm managing other people now, not myself. Even parents, they'll come in and say, well, I have kids now. And that's when I started noticing my symptoms ramping up a little bit is when I first had my two uh, little ones. And being able, now it's like, I'm not on my own anymore. I'm not living by myself. I have a family I need to take care of, but I also have other lives that are I'm responsible for. Yeah. So there's things I need to do. Remember um, appointments, um, setting a nice routine for them. And I think when you can get that support from an ADHD coach, if you think that the symptoms are related to ADHD or just anything that maybe a person with ADHD might uh, struggle with. So time management, emotions, um, regulating those emotions, managing their behaviors, maybe motivation, completing tasks, staying on tasks, task initiation, working memory. That's a really important one. I know I'm being mindful of the time here, but let's talk very briefly about uh, working memory. Um, what do you mean by working memory and what are some strategies for, for folks to improve their working memory? So working memory and that long-term memory is something that can be a limited capacity for someone living with ADHD. Um, it's something that definitely can be increased. We sometimes struggle with living with ADHD is to with our short-term memory. So a lot of times things slip our mind and we might forget when a person's talking to us, maybe we're distracted by something or not really focused on the conversation. So there's ways to work on increasing active listening. There's ways to uh, focus on how to put things into your long-term memory, whether it's repeating the task or repeating the numbers or repeating the direction. And there are many different strategies in regards to kind of working on long-term memory and working memory. One thing I like to do with, with youth and teens is it's like a little game you can play is you scan a room for about three to five minutes and then you leave that room and then try to identify everything that was in that room. So something like that, little things like that help Yeah, yeah. with that long-term memory and being able to um, know little skills and strategies and techniques like note-taking, releasing information from your mind. Because the way, the way an ADHD mind works is we'll say you have 10 compartments um, in, your, in your brain and a person that is neurotypical might be able to recall information a little bit easier like a computer, like you go on the computer, you can type in a search bar, something that you did a week ago, earlier that day, a month ago, two months ago, and it might pull up pretty fast. But with ADHD and ADHD brain, you have to be able to release that information to uh, input new information. So having a nice strategy that works for you in regards to releasing information off your mind, whether it's journaling, whether it's a daily planner, whether it's using your phone for your notes, some people email themselves. I actually text myself. Hmm. And there's also other programs and applications that you can use to release information out your mind because we we have a lot of input coming in. In conversations, you're talking to someone, a random thought might pop into your head or you might recall something a week ago. It's very beneficial to release that information and and also make a note to check that information that does come in when you are in a conversation so you can be mindful in your living in your daily living so you can be engaged with being in the moment it's in it uh see i almost said it again try not to say interesting <laughs> but it is it's fascinating there you go there's another one um let's go uh <laughs> I wrote a book a number of years ago called New Business Networking, and I have chapters on using, you know, Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and so forth. But then I have chapters on organizing your own events and attending conferences and trade shows and and using podcasting uh, as well and and ways to network and grow your business and your career. And I I mentioned that because the more I learn about my I learn really about ADHD, uh, and 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 realizing you know I have ADHD is that the, looking back at the book, I realized like so much of what I shared are great tips, but they are really tips for people like me. Um, you know, I, I I wrote actually I do a lot of public speaking as well, and active listening is something I talk about in almost every presentation 
Um, I have a, an acronym for the word listen, and I kind of break it out for audiences and it's in the book as well. But it's fascinating to me how I've been obsessed with active listening and without really realizing why I was, it's kind mm -hmm. of, it's kind of fascinating to me. Um, yep. Yeah. Well, I know I, I'm, I'm going to be mindful of time here, but uh, this has been just a fantastic conversation, James. Tell me, um, are there any topics or anything that you would like to share that I didn't ask you about? Um, I, yeah, one thing I think I wanted to mention is kind of focusing on kind of why coaching for ADHD. And I think coaching can really be paired with therapy as well, because therapy focuses on emotions as well as ADHD, but pairing ADHD and coaching together or ADHD therapy and coaching together is very beneficial for any individuals. So I think it, when you find an ADHD coach or when you find someone that is uh, versed in ADHD, you get expert expertise with ADHD, you get psychoeducation on ADHD and proven strategies and tools to kind of help solve challenges. And a lot of times ADHD coaches live with ADHD as well. So being able to relate to the journey that that person's experiencing, being empathetic and understanding as well. So the individual feels heard and also accommodating things. So understanding and accommodating for the ADHD challenges is one thing that I've realized with working with individuals when seeking coaching is being supportive for them and and providing that outlet for them and that shared experience to help them grow to kind of be the best version of themselves. That's a great point. How can people learn more about what you do and, and reach out to you, James? Um, they can actually find me on Instagram as well as LinkedIn. So my Instagram is ADHD under slash coach under slash James. And mentioned before, my website is mindfullymanagingadhd.com. And then my LinkedIn is just James Douglas Jr. So they can always reach out to me all those ways, whether it's DM or um, my email is also mindfuladhd123 at gmail.com. So people can reach out to me that way as well. Well, thank you, sir. This has been such a pleasure. It's uh, yeah, lots, lots to digest and, uh, and ruminate on, but I, I do appreciate you sharing so many resources and, and uh, your own story as well. Cause it's, Pretty interesting, as I said, the word interesting again. If this was a drinking game, uh, I would be <laughs> hammered at this point. Um, but <laughs> thanks, James. This has been great. Thank you for having me, Dave. Hey, thanks for listening to Wise Squirrels. It has been amazing to share this with you. Best way to show your support for the show. Leave us a review, follow the show, and share it with the people in your life. We drop new episodes every two weeks, so stay tuned for that. Plus, drop by wisequirrels.com or click the link in the podcast description and you'll find a lot of different resources like articles, a, an assessment, a newsletter, lots of good stuff over at wisequirrels.com. So drop by, let me know what you think, and we'll see you next time. Take care.